Okay, so yeah, we just let's just do this thing. Yeah. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Sound Logic Podcast. We're really uh, cruising along here now. We've made it to album number eighty-three, which is "Dusty in Memphis" by Dusty Springfield. Thanks for coming back and joining us again on this journey through all sorts of different music on this Rolling Stone top 500 albums list. Uh, the list is now over two years old, came out in August of 2020. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and this is a new artist for us that we haven't discussed before, Dusty Springfield. Um and a new artist for, I think, for both of us in terms of just our regular listening. So uh, lots yeah. to discuss here, not just the music, but the artist as well. Yep. I was uh, feeling a lot of embarrassment because I think I ended our last episode by saying we're going to talk about uh, country folk singer Dusty Springfield and... <laughs> You know, the more I listened this week, the more I realized, oh man, she is not country folk. She is a pop star. And, uh, and that made me like realize all of the misconceptions I had. I, I think we were joking several months ago when we saw her name coming up that for a long time, we didn't realize Dusty Springfield was the name of a woman. And, uh, I, I don't know, in the same way that, uh, Leonard Skinner, it, it sounds like it could just be the name of a 60s rock band too like it's of a guy. Uh, yeah. it's yeah. it's kind of a cliche kind of name um and so ah uh, I, I i feel some embarrassment that like this is a woman considered to be one of the great vocalists of her time and i know so little about her i you know it was it was news to me as well that she's from the uk uh you know with a name like that you would assume american southwest or something like that and um so, yeah. uh, for for what it's worth, I, I feel like I, I need to apologize and uh, and let go of some of my assumptions that I know music and uh, remind myself again that there's still so much to learn. <laughs> ben, did you just say for what it's worth? Because that's Buffalo Springfield, not Dusty Springfield. Uh, <laughs> Good one. Yeah, that's maybe why I thought uh, Dusty Springfield sounded all, like uh, the name of a band. <laughs> for, for all our, our uh, folk rock aficionados there. Yeah. Um, there you go. Anyways, uh, I don't want to leave you hanging there because I, too, assumed that she was a country folk singer a la Dolly Parton, a la um, Nashville mm-hmm. kind of thing. So uh, you're not alone there. The Memphis must have been throwing me off as well. Uh, so we're yeah, maybe uh, we're too. both sharing in the ignorance today, and I'll share in the I'll share in the embarrassing embarrassment as well. Uh, you're not alone. <laughs> you're in good company, bud. Should we dive right into some details? I think we should do details, and then and then we'll start with details about the album, and uh, and we'll see where we go from there. Details, 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 details. So this was released, uh, Dusty in Memphis. Her fifth studio album released January 18th, 1969. So she's already, she's well established in the mid to late 60s. Okay. Um, again, uh, we mentioned a, a British recording artist, British vocalist. Uh, here's one. We've come across this before. Songs uh, were, she didn't write any of the music. So we've had like like Elvis, some other artists. Um, I think Aretha, a lot of her stuff she didn't write. Uh, other people wrote for yeah. her. Uh, Dusty's another artist here who uh, who didn't write her music. Many different people, including some names we'll recognize. Uh, the, the writing team of Carol King and her husband, uh, Jerry Goffin. Uh, Randy Newman wrote a few tracks. Uh, Burt Bacharach. Um, and it's a mixture of covers of songs and some songs written for her for this album. So it's a combination of both, okay? Yeah. Mike, have you ever heard of the Brill Building Sound? 
Well, I'm I'm aware of the Brill Building. Um, I'm aware of that it was. Uh, uh, is it six? What's the? It's on it's on Broadway, right? It's a it's. Mm-hmm. And there's a a guy, a vocalist named Kurt Elling that I've seen live, jazz vocalist. He did an album, all of covers, written by people who wrote in the Brill Building, and it was a bunch of okay. singer songwriters who who were there. Is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about something else? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, it's okay. this building on Broadway that uh, ho- literally hundreds and hundreds of hits came out of this building. Yeah. And the reason yeah, yeah, for yeah. that was because in the 60s, for some reason, there was this uh, concentration of music producer and music studio offices all in the same really condensed building. Um I think the Wikipedia article says at one point there were something like 150 um, different entities uh, in that wow. one building, all different yeah. parts of the music industry. And Carol King has talked about working in that building, fu- furiously trying to write something faster than the person in the office next to her <laughs> to give it wow. to an artist who really needs something for their art, their album coming out yeah. soon. And just this like kind of like creative uh, storm happening in this Brill building, and uh, for I guess for a certain period of time, there was a, a sound that was really pulling on a number of different genres, including soul, including pop, including um, jazz and rock. That kind of melted into this Brill building sound. Um, and until I saw that term in in Dusty's Wikipedia article, I I'd never heard of it, and uh, it kind of took me down this bit of a rabbit hole just hearing hearing that and, and wanting to learn more and, and getting into that uh, that really unique moment in time kind of eye-opening again for uh, someone I didn't know much about yeah when we saw Kurt Elling I can't remember exactly the year but it was shortly after he had re- released that album uh, called 1619 Broadway the Bill building the Brill Building Project. And so he played a lot of songs. They're all covers by artists mm. who wrote in that building. So that is actually okay. how I know about it. I didn't know that this was part of other than Carol King, I didn't know that this was part of it. So yeah, that's that's really mm. cool. And that's a really important and uh often looked over aspect of of a lot of the popular music from the late sixties. Yeah. From that uh, era, that a lot yeah. of it a lot of it came from there. That was the the authorship. So a lot of different artists are or songwriters and many of them from that that place in New York uh, went to number 99 on the USA top 200 uh, it's certified gold in the UK uh, so not one of the most uh, well received albums we reviewed or the most no. commercially successful but still uh, nonetheless uh, well known and, and it was received okay um, Dusty Springfield She's considered to be one of the first female vocalists to make the jump from the UK to the USA. So becoming popular. She's from the UK and becoming popular in the US. Um, In fact, in 2020, the album was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Recording Registry for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Most of the albums we've reviewed, uh, especially ones that are a little older. Many of them, yeah. uh, Have have given this honor. Um, The press release... For that, said that the library stated that despite its modest sales when first released, over time, Dusty and Memphis grew in stature to become widely recognized as an important album by woman in the rock era. Uh, so, I, I mean, that's an interesting comment because I guess if you think about 1969 and bands like Zeppelin coming on the scene, of course, the Stones, the Beatles, mm-hmm. uh, all the other huge rock acts, and then, you know, uh, uh, folk rock acts like CSNY and Bob Dylan. Uh, there is this woman in the rock era. Yeah, this this sound is more fixed in in soul and R and B, really. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that they plunk her there because there was lots of other artists doing this type of music. Uh, so interest, I find that a bit of an interesting comment. I'm not sure. Woman yeah, similar rock. similar to when we looked at Aretha. Yeah. I I listen to this music and it doesn't feel like the era it came out of in my mind i feel like it's an older sounding that's what i thought uh performer than than 
when she was really making her stride. And I guess maybe a reminder that there was still some of that heavily produced, um, uh, soulful, almost, almost big band kind of support accompaniment still being really popular and consumed in the late 60s. Right. And, and uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, she told the New York Times in 1995, I always wanted to be Aretha. <laughs> so you can hear some of the yeah. similarities. You can hear the admiration in the style here uh, in some of the songs. Uh, a lot of similarities in the sound. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the, the song that most people will know this album from is uh, Son of a Preacher Man. We'll get to that. But uh, that song was actually written for Aretha. Um, she didn't really want it. And so <laughs> Dusty gets it, turns it into her biggest hit. And a few yeah. years later, Aretha does it and uh, does it quite well, too. <laughs> yeah, I'll come back to that. Yeah, I have some some comments on that song as well but but yeah absolutely it's very interesting it's interesting how that works with with i don't want to touch on it too much but we have talked about this thing where um so many of the artists we've talked about on this list ben have written their own music produced their own stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, but there are a few who people aretha and you know when we talked about like the crystals and and other acts from the 60s where songs were written for them we there's a lot less of that um on this list and i feel like that was a bigger thing in that era anyways um yeah yeah uh this was this was the first of a small wave of quote in memphis style albums uh that were recorded by pop singers at american recording studios so three months after uh, this album was released. Dionne Warwick's Soulful album was released. Sorry, the album was called Soulful, okay? Uh, which had a similar mix of soul and pop and was recorded um, at American Recording Studios. And then in the summer of 1969, uh, Elvis Presley's From Elvis in Memphis was released, featuring Presley recording at the American with the Memphis Boys musicians. And then the following year, Petula Clark's Memphis album also recorded at American Recording <laughs> Studios was released so all these albums uh, were part of a larger uh, 60s and 70s boom of soul and pop music uh, produced in Memphis uh, which is also the home to Stax Records High Records many other studios and labels um, and was not far from Muscle Shoals Alabama which is also popular for music um, did you have any other comments there? Because that's a big that's a big part of kind of the sound and also a part of kind of how we were misled that this was American artist. Right. Well, and I think, um, again, going back to my many misconceptions, I, I think of that era and that location in the country, that geography, and I don't think of pop music. Um, right, it's, yeah it's not correct right there's there was a lot of pop music that came out of that time as you just referenced and um and i need to like break Mm -hmm. that uh, stereotype in my head that says you know if it's below the mason dixon it's country you know (laughs) that sort of thing Um, right yeah yeah it's, it's it's a helpful correction i think to note that and as we mentioned before when i think of you know 1967 through you know 73 i I don't think of pop music uh there was a lot of pop music there was soul music as we talked about but i i think of rock you know like that's you know that's what i think of in that time and all the amazing rock folk rock hard rock blues rock that was coming out being produced you know artists doing you know three albums every two years you know more than an album a year um Mm -hmm. But we, we should be reminded there was still a lot of other music being produced. Uh, do you want to move on to the album artwork? Yeah, let's do it. So this is another one. We see this more in the 50s and 60s uh, than in other, other eras, other eras after this, where you have, you know, maybe a UK album cover and then an American cover or... Uh, a U.S. in this case a U.S. cover and a 
international cover <laughs> everywhere else. We've seen <laughs> one where you have like uh, the U.S., the U.K., and Europe, or you know, there's a different one in France. France, Germany. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. So the 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 U.S. the U.S. cover has kind of a full shot, you know, from kind of the the elbows up of Dusty with this. She has this very unique. I, I don't know if this is a wig or dye, but this this I don't want to call it gold, but yellow hair. Which I think was kind of platinum a blonde signature look. Was that what it was? Yeah. Platinum blonde? Because it's yep. not like your regular blonde. Yeah. So so her, no. um, she's got a lace, I think, very country a lace uh, frilled top. Her hands kind of on her her cheeks, partially covering her face. Um, a very country look. And then you have mm-hmm. the international, which is a, a more uh, muted the color is uh we almost call it like sepia now <laughs> with our filters in the phone mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um instead of just a black background like the other one it's got a border like an olive green border around it and just a close-up on her face right in the middle uh that same color of hair but then it's almost got this yellowy golden wash over top of it um so two Similar in some ways, but very different in other ways. Uh, very much focusing on her image um, in both cases. I think the American one really looks more like uh, country, you know, like that country western style. Yeah. The Whereas lace. the international one, maybe, maybe hey, they dude. didn't feel yeah. that that would really help sell it. Yeah, the lace, the mm-hmm. hair, um, just everything about it, I think, is very, very country western. The international one strikes me as more um, kind of 80s pop star, the really tightly cropped mm-hmm. close-up view. Um, I don't know what he... I, I can't even think of an album that, mm-hmm. uh, that would be uh, an example to point to, but um, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it also doesn't look quite as 60s as I, I would have assumed. Yeah, 60s, we often got like a full, full body shot. You know, the clothing. I think the clothing was a very important... Mm-hmm. Part I think about you know Marvin yep. Gaye or Stevie Wonder album covers, mm-hmm. um, you know where you and often in like a dancing pose or thing like a Ray Charles mm-hmm. where he's playing the piano but you can see more of the body, whereas yeah you get these I think you're right the '80s albums more of the close up or the band where it's just the faces, um, uh, I think you're right I think it was more common to have the whole more of the body and the and the clothing the clothing was really part big part of the fashion. 80s was more, you know, the hair and the face and the makeup, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Before we get into the music, Ben, um, I know that you were listening to this music, realizing that you really didn't know anything about the artist at all. So decided to, to take a bit of a detour and look into Dusty Springfield, uh, the person, the, yeah. the musician, the artist. Do you want to touch a bit on that now before we jump into the music to give us some more background on this artist? Yeah, well, I wanted to know why she was such a big deal. And, right, um, me too. And, you know, so I, I, I found a few YouTube uh, clips of, of little biopics that have been done on her. And it was helpful to be uh, made aware of the fact that she was one of the first um, British uh, women to break through the U.S. market, um, you know, to become kind of a global star in that way. That was a, that was insightful. Um, to be someone really heralded for both their appearance and voice uh, in an, in a moment where where stars were becoming um, stars, not only for their voice but for the way they looked. Right, and she had that that right look. Um, but something really interesting that was kind of be beneath all of that um, and the context that she was game, gaining notoriety in was that she happened to be a closeted member of the LGBT community and there oh, are really? many oh, that, have, that. that have speculated that her the tension in her music where she is singing pop songs but often with darker undertones you have to really listen for is because that's how she existed in the world. She was seen as this like star oh, starlet who could never fully be um, honest about who she was. Um, oh wow! Huh. 
There, there are interviews later as in her career where she admits to being, uh, um, you know, inspired by both women and men. <laughs> uh, and uh, when people would ask why she never settled down, she she sort of gives these like kind of cryptic answers. But it's become much more apparent after um, her passing that she had. Um, some relationships and some that were actually pretty long term with with other women and and so she had to lead lead this dual life um she was also someone who was diagnosed um as bipolar and you know who knows okay. how much of that played into her her sexual identity but um she would have these incredible bursts of creativity and then these really really deep dark points where a lot of self-doubt would creep in about how she was perceived, about the perception the world had of her, even though she knew it was, it was somewhat different, and uh, and was was hospitalized a few times for attempting to take her own life. Um, wow. So this really like interesting, complicated artist, complicated individual who just shot to to fame because of their voice and their appearance. Um, but there was so much more there, but beneath the surface that. So much of the world never knew until until much later down the road. Um, I, I just found that like suddenly I was listening to her music with a different set of ears, and I found yeah, wow, it just a little bit more intriguing to want to dig deeper into some of what came later after this sort of breakthrough album. And um, you know, it, we've we've talked a number of times about tortured people. I think I think especially when we talked about Bowie, like when someone who's hurting creates mm. something amazing. What do we do with that, right? That like, uh, it's almost like a cry for help, and yet we just hold it up to this brilliant thing, not always recognizing there's this like really traumatized person who created it. Uh, um, yeah, it's it's really fascinating. On our last recording, when we talked about um, Sly and the Family Stone with Terry, and we talked near the end about Elvis and he said Elvis was the greatest karaoke karaoke singer ever. Um, mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, kind Good of tongue in cheek there. Um, it struck me when he said it and then I thought I was like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, of course. Like mm -hmm. in a sense, absolutely. Um, without, yeah. without diving into those, some of those challenges, any, not always of his choosing necessarily, but no, 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 and I'm, yeah, and I'm yeah. not trying to be critical when I say that, but 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 um, here we have something similar, and, and and I'm curious, you know, you you talk about kind of hearing it with different ears and hearing kind of uh, kind of the personal struggles coming through in this music, yet it's coming through words that she didn't write and weren't necessarily personal and she might have made some of them personal but I'm, I'm wondering uh in in maybe we'll talk i don't want to go too general here but does it change the way you listen to an album and listen to the lyrics in particular when you know that they wrote those lyrics and they were personal versus when someone else wrote them like if we compare you know go extremes this album versus like uh beyonce's lemonade which was like very very personal very explicit related to a very public yeah. uh intimate experience she went through versus uh this album where she's singing some of these you know uh songs about relationships or loving but but none that she wrote um does it change the way you listen to it or are you still able to to find the emotion regardless of who penned the words yeah that's a good question I found myself thinking, it's funny that you'd bring up Elvis, because I found myself thinking about him a lot as I was listening to this, too. Okay. Knowing that she didn't write the words, but I'm guessing, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I'm guessing she was the first time a lot of people in the UK heard a powerful, soulful female singer, because African-American music wasn't necessarily as prominent there um black music wasn't as as prominent there and so you know like like elvis she was borrowing from um powerful 
underappreciated artists that came before her. And in borrowing that kind of launched her into stardom in a way that, that some of those pioneers never got to see. Um, and so while you're right, she wasn't, she wasn't the one writing the music. I wonder if that made that tension or that duality that she was living an even heavier cross to bear to, to acknowledge, to, you know, she said in that New York Times article, I always wanted to be Aretha. When you know right. you're not the, you're not the, <laughs> the classic version, you are trying to copy something. And you're also playing with this dysphoria at the whole time. Like that's gotta just be, um, I, I guess I found myself mm. not, not, not fe- playing with the tension of like, do I feel the same kind of feelings when I know that she didn't write it, but almost feeling a sadness or more empathy for her, that she was this star told to sing this and sort of grasp at the songs that seemed the most fitting that other people had written for her to try and let out some of that hidden story um, somehow uh, huh. in, in doing so. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> well said. Very well said. Um, I've really struggled with trying not to let the authorship affect the way I listen to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the on the other side of it, when I hear a song that someone has written... I try and remember that it's not necessarily autobiographical. You know, I mm-hmm. think the big one for me was when we listened to Biggie um, and going through and kind of going, oh, yeah. And then yeah, I think it was you who reminded me, like, hey, like all this stuff he's talking about, the fame, like, like he didn't have any of that when he wrote this. Like, this is a character. <laughs> like, yeah. And so yeah, many yeah. of these, you know, I, I find myself as much as you can go on that side of it, on this side, too. I don't think it's fair to say that um, she doesn't. She hasn't experienced these things, or she's not singing from the heart because she didn't write it. So it was it was kind of a good exercise to to really yeah. stop and 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 think about that. I mean, maybe there's people who do, don't even like don't even worry about that. Like it doesn't matter. Like if you if you get the feeling from it, if it's if they're evoking that feeling, they're getting it across. Then why should it matter who wrote it but it's something that's always kind of uh, uh, yeah. I guess been important to me or, or, or even when it's like you know someone and they don't play any instruments I go oh they didn't play any instruments well wh- why should that yeah, even yeah. matter if it's good music and you like it why Why yeah. would you be critical but it's just something that's always so this, this was kind of a good exercise um, yeah yeah it's funny in, like in, we don't in, do in, that in the film industry right we, we don't say you know that actor portraying <laughs> that that story yeah. didn't write that that part so yeah, it's not as part. good as the one that's not right. as good as when the uh, wilson brothers wrote bottle rocket and then acted it out um you know we we, we maybe hold or, up know, the people good, who good both hunting. write and perform or goodwill hunting yeah we maybe hold them up to a higher level but but we don't downplay the folks who who just get the parts and, and perform it well um but in the music industry right. we do i think you're right uh, and uh we do there's yeah, that that sort do. of like different kind of litmus test or standard of like um, yeah, and so yeah, it's it's interesting. I there was um, one of those videos of uh, kids reacting to stuff from their parents' generation, and it was kids reacting to uh, Backstreet Boys, okay. and then the video was showing the Backstreet Boys reacting to the kids reacting to the Backstreet Boys, and uh, <laughs> and the Backstreet Boys were were like really looking back on their career with a lot of pride and nostalgia for like that moment in time and right. how proud they were of, of creating that music. And I, I felt that same tension of like, how much of it was you? Weren't you just like kind of created in a lab somewhere and huh. handed the music and told yeah. the choreography and, um, and yet they were really invested in like, we, we created something that's lasting. These kids, their parents have handed we, it down to them yeah, and like we, did that. we are in a cultural moment in time that we that we created and yeah i, I felt that same like inner turmoil of like what well, how do we see it uh is, huh. is it is it them or is it a studio behind them that we really should say yeah that's who <laughs> yeah that's who created that thing yeah it's an interesting interesting way to think about it and how we hold up different artists for some things and other artists we don't um, yeah 
Anyways, before we get too far off track, um, <laughs> uh, I want to thank you, first of all, for, for kind of doing some of that research. Um, because I, I, when I listened to this, I, I hadn't really dug into that. So now I'm going to have to listen to it again and kind of with uh, <laughs> hearing some of that retrospective personal yeah. stuff back there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so let's talk. Were, were there any. I think we all know Son of a Preacher Man. I mean, that was the one that was familiar to me. Were there any other tracks that, you know, surprised you or that you found yourself coming back to when you listened to it? No, I, I, I don't know why. Uh, I was listening to this album at dinner tonight and uh, that kind of pulled the room. No one knew what was what was on, but I said, what do you think of this music, everyone? And it's kind of crickets. <laughs> and uh, our <laughs> middle child, who's also a, a firecracker, said, it's fine, but it's just music. And 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 my wife said, "Yeah, okay. I think I feel the same way." And I thought, "Huh? Like I, I think I feel the same way too. Like it's it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, but it's it's just it's just good. Uh, I I'm not drawn to it. And I don't know how much of that has to do with the sound or the genre. The it, this music to me has aged much worse than some of the other." artists from this era that we have talked about and maybe it is okay. that big band sound behind her the orchestral arrangements the overproduction it just sounds like it's from another era and aside from son of a preacher man which really stylistically really does stand on its own on this list of 11 tracks i i don't I think, think so. i could tell you one song that other than that 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 really draws me back in yeah and i hate to sound critical but uh, I felt, uh, after saying all these things, wonderful things about her as a person and her achievements, uh, I felt kind of similar. And uh, yeah. it it felt to me like a bit of a callback to some of the music of the mid-60s. Um, again, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but someone singing, you know, someone else's songs. And... Mm-hmm. It, it was nice music. There's nothing wrong with it, but it wasn't. It didn't. Nothing really caught caught my ear. Sun for Preacher Man's a really good yeah. song and very familiar. Uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's you know very very well known. It's one that I've known. And you know, until perhaps until doing this project, I don't think I knew it was her. And I think I had mm-hmm. assumed for many 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 years that it was an African African American woman. Um, yeah, I guess due to the style, ignorance on my part, never looked into it. Um, and again, I'm not saying that in a critical way. I just, I, I didn't. No one ever said, "Hey, that's Dusty Springfield. You gotta listen to this Dusty <laughs> Springfield track." You know that never, right, right. Yeah. that conversation never happened. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was kind of like that was interesting. And then I, I, I kind of felt, you know, if I wanted, and this is gonna sound really awful. You know, I hope I don't get lambasted <laughs> for this, but. I, I felt like, well, if I wanted to listen to some of music like this, um, you know, I, I might want to just listen to Aretha because I, I know she was trying to emulate her, and that's yeah, awesome. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, I guess I won't go down that road because I don't want to be mean about it. But, I mean, this was just, I guess, was kind of just, yeah, nothing really came out and grabbed me hard. Um, again, great music. Yeah. Would I put it on if I had a bunch of people over? Yeah, I, I think I would. I think it'd be great. Um, and I know we say this sometimes with the negative, but you know, in a positive light, great in the background because it's not something that you're gonna. It's gonna be distracting. But we're gonna have to um, engage super intensely to to get it. You know, it's very accessible, very easy to listen to. Uh, so there's a lot of really good things there, but also not, not, uh, we've talked about, I've said this before, you know, not necessarily very challenging music, um, mm-hmm. which again, mm-hmm. is not a negative, but, uh, yeah. Um, you know, we kicked I, off I this season, we kicked off the season talking about, um, <laughs> that new Rolling Stone list of the, the 200 greatest, uh, Vocalist? Is that what it was? The two hundred, yeah, greatest, um, uh, two, greatest two hundred greatest time. singers of all time. Yeah, um, you know, I I don't actually remember if I saw her name on that list, but uh, that would be a very fitting place for her to be acknowledged for the strength of her voice. 
right? And, and just how powerful the singer she was. Um, I, I think she had other other hit singles that we would we would remember. Um, but but I guess I, lost in that. It, in some ways, I guess it feels like this is here so that we don't forget Dusty Springfield. And it's the one that has that hit song that everyone knows. Um, right, rather yeah. than, you know, it's an album showcasing how great her vocal range is rather than an album of 11 singles that, that just tore through the landscape. Uh, now, maybe there are Dusty Springfield fans out there who are screaming at us right now saying, no, that, those songs did touch me. This song, these are great. Um, and, and maybe in the UK, maybe maybe there, it's a different story on the other side of the pond. The, you know, the way that she was heralded as a woman who broke through a male-dominated um, British invasion wave of music. Maybe right. maybe there's something different there. Um, but I, I felt that same that same tension of like, it's clear it's clear she's incredibly talented. Um, but but what what is drawing me back to this album um, besides her talent? Uh, is that, too, is that too superficial to <laughs> to say? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's honest, you know, and um, it's about taste too. Like there, there's going to be yes. other people who yeah. who are really really drawn to this and i guess we just weren't but i mean but interesting that you pulled you know the people in your house and you know very, very different opinions different uh different tastes and then everyone kind of was <laughs> of a similar mind like that's fine yeah. you know yeah so, um, huh. and i'm sure there's many people who would say you know we're saying we're kind of saying this is sort of unremarkable and i'm sure there's many people who would say oh it's extremely remarkable you know it's incredible and Maybe we should have found those people <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that, that we want to remember to do is uh, we would love to put two tracks from each album on our Spotify playlist. Um, it's called Sound Logic Favorites. Uh, two tracks from every album we review. There's lots of very different music up there right now. Uh, so, Ben, are you going to pick a track other than Son of a Preacher Man? <laughs> Well, before we do that, um, we realized at the end of our last episode that we neglected to do that for the last two albums. So, so do we should need to we do really that? pick six tracks tonight, um, <laughs> or do we just want to uh, forget about uh, the other two for our <laughs> for our purposes? Well, I guess if you you know if you're if you're a faithful listener, thank you. Um, <laughs> and, and you know you haven't checked that playlist in a while uh, yeah I guess we could list those so so we we didn't pick two for uh, from Beyonce uh, right Beyonce album I think if I had to pick a a track that will stick with me um, despite its sexual overtones I would say blow is the one that, that uh, <laughs> I enjoyed the most <laughs> <laughs> Even though I love the John Mayer version of EXO so much that I thought it was just a John Mayer original, <laughs> I'm going to go with the the opener, Pretty Hurts. Okay, perfect. That's that's a pretty great track. Um, and then we'd have to move to um, There's a Riot Going On. Yeah, and we apologize to we should have uh, asked Terry. Terry for not asking him. Right, yeah. I'll take the easy. I'll go first. I'll take the easy break. I'll go with Family Affair. I mean, that was a huge hit. Um, All right. And it's such a perennial track, but I'm going to go with Family Affair. Family uh, Affair. Uh, my, my favorite is Running Away. So, um, okay. No, no conflicts there. Okay. Good, 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 good. <laughs> the both, was that the two singles on the album? <laughs> two uh, of them. Two, of the, two of the three. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So that brings us. So we're all caught up. Thanks for indulging mm-hmm. us for a few moments there. <laughs> all caught up. Um, at least it's not the first time we did it where we went through like 20 albums all at once or something. That's right. Um, decided, hey, we should do this. Let's do all the albums. <laughs> We're going to record it for you. Uh, okay, so. I, I really like the opening track. I think uh, maybe it's because that's the one I've probably listened to most over the last mm-hmm. week. Um, but I like that sort of melancholy, just a little loving. And, you know, as a closeted queer woman I, I think there's probably some tension in that one too so sure. I, I think that's my choice if uh if you want sort of a preacher man 
Yeah, I'll, I'll go with Son of a Preacher Man. I mean, it's it's so okay. it's so iconic. It's so recognizable. That the opening is just the, mm, yeah. The, we haven't really talked about the musicians, and I don't know that we will. But um, mm-hmm. that riff is just so cool sounding. It it's it doesn't really sound like the rest of the song either. And uh, <laughs> there's a couple pop culture references that come out of that song that I think now is an appropriate time to talk about them. We've talked about them leading up to this, but. Uh, Growing up in the '90s era and listening to some hip hop, I I can't help and I kind of I kind of play this song even kind of uh, as a joke sometimes because I really wasn't into like uh, you know smoking up culture in the '90s. But the Cypress Hill song uh, hits from the bong, which is so <laughs> not me, <laughs> but <laughs> samples the opening of this with a pretty sick uh hip hop beat underneath it with with you know uh kind of uh bong using sound effects behind it <laughs> so i hear sort of a preacher man and i think of you know hits from the bong which is just so ridiculous to put those two tracks side by side but they sampled the track so that comes into my mind um, well, and speaking of you, ridiculous, uh, Jan sings "Son of a Preacher Man" at her baby shower in the office. So, how well I remember the look that was in his eyes, stealing kisses from me on the slide, taking time to make time, telling me that he's all mine. Yeah, it's it's funny Learning what these songs that are so embedded in pop culture wind up doing uh, to our and, and to that, our understanding. That whole, I mean that. That episode, I mean, if you haven't watched The Office, that episode is so ridiculous that they're, you know, <laughs> Michael and Janet broken up and they, they have her over for a baby shower and it's not his baby. And not only is it not his right. baby, but right. she's she hasn't told anybody she's already had the baby. So it's just, <laughs> just, just this awkward, ridiculous. And then, you know, she's singing Son of a Preacher Man to this baby and everyone's just staring at her like, that's the song. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, so back to Dusty in Memphis. Um, I mean, I think I think we've made our our conclusions, our general ideas, quite clear about the album. So you yeah. you made a comment earlier that you felt this album hasn't aged well. Um, mm-hmm. Can you elaborate that or summarize that a little bit for us? Well, like even that like opening track, which I claim to really appreciate, it's like an orchestral arrangement. It, it almost reminds me of um, Spectre's Wall of Sound, like just like you know we're bringing in every instrument here to make this full and rich. But it sounds like right studio musicians, and it sounds like. Um, you know, big production in another era, uh, and and she's sing. She she's got almost a Sinatra-like quality to the way that she sings. She's a crooner, for better or for worse. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's unfair, but um, it's a soulful kind of way of singing that you know people people might be borrowing from that now, but no one's trying to straight up copy that style. I don't I don't think. Um, right. Unless they're performing an old standard. Yeah, interesting. I I thought it's aged well in it. There's some, you know, we've talked about, there's a difference between uh, I know where this sound comes from, like I know that the era this comes from, and this sounds old and bad, you know? Like, it's very different yeah, to say, yeah. that's from the 70s. That's very different from saying, man, that's, that sounds from the 70s, and it's really hokey. You know, like yeah. that kind of thing. So this is something where I didn't feel that it's like I could tell where it comes from. In fact, I would have if I had if I didn't know anything about this and you asked me again, I would have said this is like 65, 66 kind of thing, which is really in the grand scheme of things only four years earlier. But <laughs> um, I know where it's from, but it doesn't sound like hokey. It sounds like, well, this is a six. This is a mid 60s album. So I think right. that part of it's aged well. The the I mean, obviously, female vocalists sing much differently today, but I think there's still a lot of room for a vocalist that sounds like this. I think when you start playing stuff, you know, it sounds like, you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. You start going, oh, we really don't listen to vocalists who sing yeah. 
like true. that anymore. But but I think there's still a place for uh, a, a vocal delivery that sounds like this. So I, I think that part of it's aged well. The, the lyrics age pretty well. Again, not her lyrics and lots of different, but I think the lyrics have been okay. Um, not as bad as some of the, some of the really hokey, like, you know, I met this boy and, uh, he's the love of my life and now I'm going to marry him. Kind of all that off that Phil Spector, uh, compilation, kind of all that was like, okay, this is really, I don't think this represents kind of the female, uh, journey anymore <laughs> very well. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think it's actually uh, age not too bad. Hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't argue with what you just said. I'm, I'm, <laughs> and yet I, I don't feel that way. Okay, um, that's fine. Uh, I get. Okay, I guess Diana Krall is not necessarily, um, you know, she's been around for a while. But the, I I hear some similarities in kind of music that she was making. Yeah. At least when I listened to her. Um, so you might be right. Yeah. I, I guess I would. I guess if I heard someone right now putting this out, I would say like, "Where's the, where's the beat track that goes under it?" <laughs> or, well, yeah. Uh, I, I, I uh, mean, it's. Uh, like why did you why did you have those instruments and not these ones um right yeah you're right there there isn't like a tremble uh in her voice like snow white's a great uh a great reference because that does immediately feel dated uh that 1920s oh um, yeah just like uh, hard to listen to um so yeah you're right it's not the sound of her voice that sounds dated her voice would play Absolutely, in today's era, um, something about the production I get stuck up on, and hmm. I'm not sure why. What about this position? This is number eighty-three. This is the you know hmm. the eighty-third best album of all time? We talked about that the sales were modest, but it's it's made a lasting impression. It's been honored by the National Recording Institute. Um, how do you feel? It's does it deserve to be there? This feels too too high to me. Okay. Um, I admit I have not looked ahead to see if there are other Dusty Springfield albums on this list. Um, but uh, if if it's here just as a placeholder for her to be on this mm. list because it's got "Son of a Preacher Man" like that. Uh, that's something I thought we were getting away from in the 2020 list. <laughs> right. uh, no, granted she was a pioneer yeah. female vocalist and, and there's lots of reasons for her to be included, uh, for her influence, for her talent. But, but to me, it just feels high. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. How about you? Um, I, uh, I certainly felt that while listening to this um said it was a little high and i'm trying to figure out if that's just because of my bias to it uh that it really didn't wow me um, right right and we've talked about different artists where we ask the question is this album on the list more because it's an an artist that's impactful than this album, you know, and, mm -hmm. and we haven't mm -hmm. obviously been able to answer those questions, but, but this is another one I go, is this because this is just a really important artist and, and as maybe over time, more of her story as, as a closeted uh, queer person is, is coming out and is more accepted. And these stories are coming more to the forefront. They're more important that we're sharing these stories, which I, I certainly agree with. Um, was that a consideration as to, well, now that we know that this was a, you know, a, a queer person, um, you know, who was closeted yeah. and, and is, yeah. is it, it, do we need to showcase those people as this list we talked about is much more diverse. We're trying to have more people who were, you know, previously kind of um, marginalized. Is that a consideration in putting this higher? I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I can't answer that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, maybe. Um, 
but I would agree with you that it, it just does feel a little high. Like there's one big hit on it. It it's only gold. Um, you know, it barely cracked the top 100. Uh, I don't know. There's a few reasons that that I would have it lower. Should it be on the list? Yeah, I think so. I think I think there's there's definitely a place for her for this album. Yes. Um, I, I think it should be here. Uh, top hundred? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It, it does feel a little high. I'm sure there's a really good reason. And, and again, I'd love to hear it. Uh, um, mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. why it's higher. And maybe if this was, we've debated whether it was the straight. You know, just was it just the polling <laughs> that got these yeah. positions? Yeah. Was it just the voters? Uh, if so, if that's the case, and there's a lot of people who said this is an important album to me. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, it deserves to be here. But I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, it still feels it still feels high to me. Yeah, well said. You asked the question. You know, are are there any other albums? I uh, know this is the only one. Um, she, I think she did quite a lot. Well, this was her fifth, and certainly not her last. And yeah, uh, she passed sadly in in nineteen ninety nine. Um, you know, some time ago now. Uh, and I know that she still continued to record. Uh, yeah, and she did. She did become much more of a behind the scenes kind of person. I mean, okay, uh, okay. She, she continued to record, but moved to the U S in part because of her celebrity in the UK, um, really went underground for a while. I mm. partially, I think because of her, um, her queer identity, um, partially because of just not wanting to be so publicly visible. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, lived a very different life, I think, than some people who had that kind of late 60s rise to fame. Hmm. Very interesting. So this is uh, both the first and the last time um, yeah. we review Dusty. I'm sure we'll, uh, sure it'll come up again. It certainly, mm-hmm. certainly sparked a little more conversation than I initially speculated it would. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's nice. That's good. I, I like that. Yeah. Um, so we want to thank you, of course, for listening, for joining in, for making it to the end of this episode. Uh, ben, what we got coming up next time? Yeah, um, boy, we really pivoted from Sly and the Family Stone to this, and now we pivot really hard once again. We're uh, shifting to Back in Black by ACDC. A, a classic, iconic, uh, I think when it came out, considered heavy metal, heavy metal mm. album. Um, yeah, number we haven't 80... tackled too many. No, we haven't. Number 84 on the list. Um, so until that time, we hope you continue to be well. We hope you take care of yourselves and those around you, those close to you, those important to you. And of course, we hope you'll join us again right here on the SoundLogic Podcast. Thanks for listening and take care, everyone. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.